first, a word from our sponsor, Film Movement Plus, a streaming service for fans of independent and foreign film, delivers a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best movies from prestigious festivals around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are acclaimed films you won't find anywhere else. Plus, newly restored classics and award-winning shorts with new films added every week. Available on all your favorite devices, including Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But Watch With Gen listeners can get a 14-day free trial, plus 30% off their annual subscription using the promo code GEN30. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7. Today, I'm going to be connecting with my good friend, my favorite Australian, Blake Howard, who I first met on his podcast about three years ago, and it's kind of coming full circle. You'll hear more about that in our conversation. Also, today's chat, because Blake is the busiest man on the planet, is a very fast-paced one. I was kind of playing beat the clock. He could talk to me for an hour, and Blake is one of those super nice guys who gets up at the crack of dawn to speak with you before he can hear the kids moving around upstairs. So that's what happens if you hear us sort of jumping from one movie to the next as we get closer towards the end. You know that's what was going on. But it's still a really dynamite chat about James Caan, and I hope you'll love it. I also wanted to let you know that in case you've missed it so far, we've covered James Caan a handful of times on the pod. Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby, the author of Blacktop Wasteland and Razorblade Tears, has been one of my very good friends and most frequent guests. And last year, he did a neon noir episode with me where we broke down movies like Drive and Good Time and Thief, as in Michael Mann's Thief, starring Mr. James Caan, and then reuniting us in another strange James Caan way in August. Sean came back and we tackled Al Pacino in the 70s, because I'm one of those people who, as much as I love Pacino, Pacino in the 70s is my favorite. And in talking about The Godfather, that's what we did. And James Caan, of course, stars as Sonny, my personal favorite character in The Godfather. So Caan has been covered in those films. But for today, we're taking a look at his lesser known movies, or three of them anyway. Anything we could fit in this hour, you will hear. But I wanted to be sure to give you a heads up to go hunt those old episodes down with our good friend S.A. Cosby. And let's get this show on the road. 
Today, I'm so thrilled and very proud to welcome back one of my dearest pals and the hardest working man in pod business, Mr. Blake Howard, the brains behind the stellar One Heat Minute Productions that launched with an in-depth minute-by-minute investigation and appreciation of Michael Mann's heat. He's released numerous pods since, including All the President's Minutes, Josie and the Podcats, Zodiac Chronicle, and also produced the excellent Increment Vice, hosted by our good friend and film essayist, Travis Woods, with several more releasing now like Miami Nice, some hilarious original stuff like Rum and Rant on his Patreon, Too Much Movie with our wonderful pal Rob Belushi and Chris Candy, plus essays on heist films at Vague Visages, his busy family life with his lovely wife, Sam, and two young children, and a new career as a teacher. Blake Howard is one of the busiest and most talented people I know, and also one of the nicest. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. How are you doing? How's 2022 treating you? And what's been going on? I'm so tired when you read those beautiful intros. I'm firstly like overwhelmed, Jen, with <laughs> the, the, how nice you are because you mean uh, you 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 and our little pandemic film club are so special to me. So, firstly, thank you for the beautiful intro. Secondly, I'm tired when I hear my own intros. That's how I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, how do I what do that? I, yeah, what am I doing? Why would I do all of that stuff? Um, yeah, I'm I'm really good. Um, you know, I think. It does look like, you know, in amongst all the other uh, awful crap that the world seems to keep inventing to throw at us, um, I feel like it's we we are getting some glimmers of a, a, a post-pandemic future, which is nice. Um, what have I been doing? I have been studying my little patootie off in 2021 to be to to transition to a career as a teacher, which I wanted to do about 10 years ago, um, but. Uh, my beautiful wife and I, Sam, were just enjoying um, earning corporate money too much and uh, traveling. <laughs> we used to be able to travel and partying and doing all those things and saving up money to buy a house and all that sort of stuff. But I'm really thrilled because there's nothing, I don't think there's really anything more challenging uh, that I've ever done in my life than uh, than teaching in a contemporary context, which is super fun. But yeah, just really stay trying to stay really busy and creative because I think that as much as it's as much as it sounds like lunacy, um, the the level of uh, the level of some of the podcasts and stuff that we're doing right now and the depths and the research and those things, I just find that there's this certain level now where like in the writing and in the experimenting and in the chatting, it's just, there's just, a, just hit this magic spot where everything's going great as far as mm -hmm. the creative side. So. You just got to keep going, and uh, yeah, in my in my very very rare free time um, in the Australian summer, it's a still Australian summer here. It's hot, and I've taken up a new hobby as a surfer, so I'm surfing more, That's which so is really cool. nice. It's really nice. Yeah, I'm feeling a bit Johnny Utah about myself right now <laughs> with the big uh, mine's a big whiteboard, not a big pink board. Um, but yeah, so no. Other than that doing that and just super excited because around the time people are hearing this and um, we're having a Miami nice virtual screening um, yes. which is going to be exciting so uh, I'm going to be spruiking that on the socials but yeah just lots going on and I don't know the only way I know how to do this is when there's lots going on so that's that's what's happening with me 
I know. I agree with you. Well, you always inspire me. You just keep getting better and better. I mean, you were incredible to begin with when I first met you almost three years ago now doing uh, One Heat Minute. And it seems like every new project takes you to a new level. And it's just been exciting to see. I am so proud of you for being a teacher. I mean, you inspire and encourage and educate people just on the daily in your life anyway. (laughs) And I know that you would be a magical teacher. And I just, I wish I'm envious of the kids that get to take your classes. And I wish I could be like a fly on the wall watching you. So I'm very proud. Well, one, one day, one day I'll, um, one day if you can ever travel, we can ever do a traveling again. I'll, uh, I'll invite you down and, I'll, I'll invite you down and you can be a visitor to the school and check out what's going on. And then you can say exactly what you said because the kids yes. are like, sir, the kids are like, this guy, what do you mean? <laughs> um, so, the, and that's, it's extremely, it's great. It's great food for an ego. Yeah. How, how much kids just don't give a rat. <laughs> so no. it's actually really nice. It's nice. You've got to, you're not, you're not just there. And look, thank you about the potting. Cause like, I honestly think it with, with all due respect to how much one heat minute meant to me, like it feels like every single project just by virtue of the fact that you just like putting in so many hours and you, mm-hmm. and your brain is attuned to a certain way of thinking and this ability to just lean into all of the ways that different movies breathe for you and breathe life into you and all the different experiences. I think just the, the way my brain is tuned at the moment is I feel like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm tuned right into exactly what resonates with me. And so if that's, if that's coming through on the podcast, that's great. And yeah, that, like I said, uh, you know, at, the podcast is like the tambourine in the film orchestra, but you know, um, I'm so proud of you because this show continues. Like I, you know, uh, it continues to just make me smile when I'm, uh, when I'm doing things, usually like Aww. put it on while I'm driving, driving to and from work or whatever the case may be. And so all of our great friends and guests that you have on this show too, just great convos, so diverse. It's just so fun to dip in and out, and uh, and you're just better and better because people get to hear. I feel like the pandemic film club gen, which is usually behind uh, the secretive walls of our film club, yes. is like your your most true <laughs> gen is coming out in the show um, more and more. And I, I and you're just hilarious and heartfelt oh. and insightful, and it's the best. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. So nice of you to say that. Um, you inspire me. So that's really nice of you. Well, Blake, obviously it is still in the works and I know we've teased it a little bit on social media and in various podcasts in the past few months, but as long as the two of us are together now officially talking shop, should we let listeners know a little bit more about our spring summer plans for midnight run in the next few months? Yeah. Look, um, in amongst all that other stuff that Jen spoke about that we did, we actually had a big, I guess, podcast production discussion is probably one way that you can talk about it. Um, We wanted to do something together um, more formal than we've done and over a little bit more of an extended period. So Jen and I are doing a midnight run podcast. We decided some formatting stuff and obviously people know me for one, if people know me for one thing, it's usually a pungasmic name for a show. (laughs) And I have no, I'm not going to take any credit because it was like, we were overcomplicating thinking what it's called, but Jen came up with the name. The show is going to be called Midnight Run Through. It's going to be 12 episodes where, uh, where we're going to focus on like having conversations with partners and pairs who have great chemistry, um, a straight man perhaps, or, and, and some kind of 
uh, uh, lunatic um, uh, is probably how we've started to pair our guests for that show. So we're doing 12 episodes because obviously midnight, 12 episodes on that show. And uh, we've kind of mapped out the pairs and most of the folks uh, have who we've like thrown the the – cast our net out to um, have been mm-hmm. so like we have to do this so we've got uh, some local Aussie comedian guests that look like they're coming up a suite of incredible people with lots of them you've heard on Watch With Jen or One Heat Minute Production so it's pretty exciting and we're just uh, scratching at the door at a couple of the creatives who are behind it as well so we're really looking forward to just diving into that movie and everything about it and it's just truly I don't know just a big uh, a big heartfelt appreciation for just how deeply effortless and underrated and hilarious and rewatchable Midnight yes. Run is. And so we just wanted to, I think Jen, we can safely say, um, has the most love for Robert De Niro um, that has almost ever existed. And, so, um, I, and I, and, and I love me a movie that somehow the miracle of Midnight Run is that it balances like all this beautiful procedure porn with just mm-hmm. this absolute improvisational comedic genius. And so, I mean, it's just got, it's got everything that we love talking about both of us. So it just felt like the perfect project for us to work on together. Absolutely. And it kind of comes full circle with our friendship because yes. Blake uh, didn't know too much about me. I think he'd read some of my writing or st- something like that on Twitter and reached out I- like, yeah, just come on. And it was a De Niro minute. He had no idea like how deep the love went for De Niro. (laughs) So within five minutes, I'm like, yeah, I had a crush on De Niro in the nineties. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and we wound up talking about midnight run. We wound up talking about a lot. So it kind of comes full circle. I just can't wait for this. So midnight run through everybody gets psyched. Yeah. Yeah. Get psyched. We'll, We'll have, It'll be on both feeds, so it'll be all over the place, which is awesome. Yeah. So you can you can catch it on. Um, um, for, it'll probably drop second. I'm gonna we'll drop it first on Watch with Jen. So you great guys get it probably a few more hours before uh, our one heat minute productions folk. But it'll be across both feeds. If we have any bonus stuff, I'm sure we can throw that up in the Watch with Jen Patreon um, or on One Heat Minutes Patreon as well. If we have yeah. any extras, because we're going to be doing it. Um, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this show knows how well-researched and how much time and thought Jen puts into uh, everything, just like every <laughs> bit of research and consuming everything for all of our guests and filmmakers. So if we have anything on the cutting room floor, which I'm sure we're going to have, um, yes. we'll, we'll, fi- we'll figure out ways to do that. So I'm, I'm super thrilled because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just another great show with one of my best buds. So I can't wait. Yeah, very excited. Well, one of my favorite things about Blake is that not only do he and I share pretty similar tastes in film, but he's always, always down to talk about whatever, whether it's weird (laughs) tangents in our pandemic movie club or the epic stories we all tell each other in my virtual game nights. Blake is always the most easygoing guy around, like today, for instance, Having bonded weirdly over the fact that Blake and I might just be two of the only people in existence who dig Alan J. Pakula's 1978 Western Comes a Horseman a few weeks back when we were both excitedly replying to a James Caan tweet about the film, we quickly realized, hey, let's build a show around it. That's Blake (laughs) taking a look at three of actor James Caan's lesser discussed movies in this episode. 
we're going to reconsider not just comes a horseman, but also hide in plain sight, which he directed and starred in in 1980. And also the 2000 release of co-writer director James Gray's The Yards. We'll go deeper into the movies in just a moment. And we'll, of course, talk about other performances along the way. But before we do that, Blake, why don't you give me your thoughts on the talented James Kahn? Yeah, I think I think that you just nailed one thing. It's just raw talent. Yep. And right from the very beginning, um, you know, earlier on this year, a couple of folks might have heard on our physical media show um, on One Eight Minute Productions, which is now called The Blues Brothers. But we also did one with the imprint films folk called Imprint Companion. I spoke about Olivia de Havilland's movie, Lady in a Cage. Oh, yes. Which is one of his very first performances. And right from the outset, this like extremely strapping, you know, uh, late 60s, early 70s paradigm of masculinity, you know, hair on the Mm -hmm. shoulders. (laughs) So much uh, hair. You know, (laughs) so much hair, this like white singlet and, and, and just this look of, I don't know. It's just this like ultra confidence it never, and it feels misplaced. And so he's just got this something. And what is so great is that what he was able to tune up in his very best performances is this like, I don't know, like an obstacle. He's an obstacle. You know, people try and like go over him and he, he he's Mm-mm. not a speed bump. And he's like, uh-uh, you, you, he just gets in people's faces. And I think I love that authenticity because so many guys in Hollywood play tough guys, you know, to be fair, we see so many guys who play tough guys. And I think that one thing that James Kahn has is like, he will hit you. That's what's so hilarious about the Godfather when he misses that punch um, on Carlo's face, which we all like, we're like, we know they shot that for three days uh, in the lore of the Godfather. How many times did he actually hit Carlo? Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that was a result of Coppola going, James, can you just not in this next one? Can you not punch him in the face? Would you mind just actually just like they were really punch? fighting? Yeah, yeah, they were really yeah. fighting in that. <laughs> yeah. And so I've always imagined that. But yeah, that's just right from the outset. You just feel that this guy has the threat is real. Like the, the threat of him actually hitting, you know, acting like a tough guy feels genuine and, and right from that outset, it's just talent. And so just with that sort of volatile personality, obviously there's so much lore around the, like the Jimmy Khan eighties and mm-hmm. going off the rails and those sorts of things. But um, most certainly for me, that that's what really typified his career and all of his truly most memorable performances. And there are still heaps of them, most we will talk about with the yards and all, all the way through. But yeah, just a raw talent and uh, and uh, kind of more of a shame that the balance of his life didn't didn't I don't know encourage and uh, and foster more diversity in his roles as we're going to talk about. But at the same time, it's like you can't have it both ways. No. You have to, it, for James Kahn to be James Kahn, he has to be that kind of volatile. So, yeah, for me, he's just always one. Of, I mean, the best way I say is just always one of my guys. Maybe the best Twitter account online, absolutely yeah. without question. End of tweet. Yes. End of tweet. <laughs> just end, <laughs> yeah, that's it. End of tweet. Like, there's no when he says end of tweet, that's his whole personality. It's like there's no yep. more to discuss here. Um, and yeah, so I I just think that there's a the actors around him obviously excelled and that that media storm around his extracurricular activity, shall mm-hmm. we say, is is all there. But when you look pound for pound at just the performances and the influence, um, it's incredible. And a tidbit, I've never ever said this before. So my brother and sister 
are half brother and sisters to me because unfortunately their mum, when they were like when they were only like six and four, only not much older than uh, older than my kids, um, their mum passed, and so my dad remarried, and sort of like with my mum they they kind of like we became a little family. I've never thought of them like a half brother half sister, but my brother's name is Khan, K A R N. Okay. Because because his mum's favorite actor was James Khan. Wow. I love that. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that, this is the, the effect, you know, it's the, it's people will, you know, obviously sunny is everything and people might think about the funny stories, but you know, when you've got things like the gambler on your resume, Mm -hmm. thief, I mean, he's a kid. Yeah, he is. And he is, as you said, like his own worst enemy. And also he needs to be uh, who he is at all times. And <laughs> he reminds me of my uncles, but like my uncles <laughs> on my mom's Italian side that like married into the family that aren't Italian, but mm-hmm. think they are just by marriage <laughs> and virtue of marriage alone. And when I first saw Sonny, I was like, oh my God, it's my great uncle Joe who owns a bar <laughs> and, you know, like, bada be, bada. Yes. And, you know, you see that with Khan. But he also just wears his heart on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. Like um, every time I watched The Godfather, it was like, well, Sonny is my favorite. And you'd have to explain why. Why? And it's like, well, because yes, he is what he is, but he can't be anything else. He cares about his family. He's going to you know, put it all on the line for his sister, whatever it is. Uh, there's heart there. Whether he's making good decisions or bad decisions, you know, he's doing it for the reasons that he thinks he needs to. And I think, you know, that is James Conn. Like there's just legendary, legendary stories about the roles that he turned down. He kind of reminds me of George Raft, who could have basically had, (laughs) you know, like Humphrey Bogart's career, but just was too much. And no, I'm not doing that. Like Conn turned down Superman. I didn't want to wear the cape. You know, he turned down (laughs) Love Story. He turned on all these just amazing things. But then when he came back around after the 80s, which were really hard with drugs, and he lost his sister to leukemia, and all these things happened in his personal life, it was misery. He took the role that like a lot of the vanity and a lot of the the movie stars didn't want because they were like, well, I'm going to be in a bed and a woman is going to upstage me. And uh, Khan, you know, in that bed, you never get a sense that he is like second banana i mean he is James no, he's Conn. so essential yeah everyone the 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 yeah the sort of like uh casual conversations are kathy bates and it's like it doesn't, <laughs> it's a two-hander it doesn't work it if he's not great like yeah. it, it's as simple as that it doesn't the whole movie fails if that if he's a garbage performer <laughs> that whole <laughs> yeah. thing that whole thing fails and I think what's so cool, and I love, the, you know, it's it's one of the seminal texts of our pop culture, so we can talk about it, but we can endlessly have fun talking about it. But that's the one thing I love about the Don giving Sonny the nod as his son who he wants to take over. It's like he's yeah. completely different to him, but mm-hmm. he just knows if he can have people around him that protect him from some of the stupid decisions he's going to make, no one will ever put one over on him. No. Like right from that Solotto scene. Oh, wait, you're telling me that Detalia is, you know. Yeah. And that's a good impulse to, to call bullshit. And you just know mm-hmm. that he's going to be different and no one's ever going to put one over on him. No one's ever going to nope. trick him. And the, the, the great trick that ultimately happens is that he gets goaded into going to beat the crap out of Carlo because he deserves it or to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but you know, he's like, you know, um, to tell he's a pimp, he never would have been able to outfight Sonny because Sonny is yeah. just unrelenting. And so there's that, um, 
there's those great those great things and that's his whole personality and he's just wonderful and um mm-hmm. and i think that even his instincts like the great stories of him like watching don rickles for his personality as sunny is one of my favorite stories yes. too just like that complete ball buster i i'm such a fan of him but it's the the i guess the movie that attracted us to this conversation is comes a horseman because it's wildly different mm-hmm. to many of his performances so uh, I, that's that's what also i think is and you know especially with the gambler and things like that is that there 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 isn't just always the bluster it's sometimes no. it's extremely nuanced and it's extremely deep and uh, and and just very delicate performance choices that he's able to create and in the right circumstances and yeah so that you know amongst all the turning down roles there are some real real crackers some remarkable ones yeah he famously called himself a new york jewish cowboy i mean he was in (laughs) el dorado of course that was like an early hit but then yeah the movie that brought us here is comes a horseman as promised up first we do have this 1978 movie directed by one of blake's favorite filmmakers alan j pakula fresh off making the film Coming Home with Hal Ashby, which would garner her her second Oscar. Jane Fonda reunited with the director who helped net her her first one in Clute. This film, a Western written by Dennis Linton Clark, was their second pairing of three movies. The film Rollover would follow in 1981. And while it isn't as impressive as Clute, from its earliest moments and from the first times that I saw it, I always liked Comes a Horseman, co-starring a sneering yet alarmingly even-toned Jason Robards as the wealthy, powerful, and dangerous baddie Jacob J.W. Ewing. The film also stars the great Richard Farnsworth and the man of the hour, the charming James Caan, as a World War II vet and drifter who buys a small plot of Jane Fonda's land and after tragedy strikes, is reluctantly hired by the tough-minded, fiercely independent woman to help out the trusty aging Farnsworth while working as her ranch hand. As Ewing is pressured by financial problems in his pursuit to be an empire builder or land baron on all the land in the valley, and also, you know, hold off the big oil and banks moving in, Ewing tries to strong arm Fonda and Khan into going along with him. Push soon comes to shove and a showdown kicks off. Dark, unsentimental, and staggeringly well acted. I believe it's a very overlooked movie, but would love hearing your thoughts on Comes a Horseman. Yeah, I mean, look, the biggest show in the world right now is Yellowstone. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've watched the first season of Yellowstone. And I had vaguely remembered seeing this, I don't know how, maybe Australian TV a million years ago, and I hadn't seen it. And all around the All the President's Minutes project, I was just consuming Pakula, everything that I could because I was so obsessed. And I think he's such an underrated filmmaker overall, even though his paranoia trilogy is like <laughs> the most set, is, is like the, one of the linchpins of the 1970s. Um, and so when I saw this, I was just like, much like when you, uh, I think Ben David Grabinski says, you can either watch Seven Seasons of Lost or watch Peter Weir's Fearless. Um, <laughs> this is the come is a proto comes a horseman. It's it's although it's set in the post World War Two, I it really reeked of post Vietnam, and it's it this does. yeah. It's, and and so you have to sometimes remind yourself because you know James Khan comes back as uh, Buck. Um, as the the lead character here, he comes back. 
with a friend. He's clearly gotten some kind of government grant to get a ranch and to make something of himself as sort of a reward for his military service. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is all of the machinations that would materialize in the 1970s are kind of like hypothesized that they're or, or like reimagined that they're all happening right in this post-war era. There's none of the, like, I love you said the word unsentimental because that's what it is. Cause usually the pre the post-war period is this burgeoning expansive mm-hmm. America wealth building idea. And it's basically propaganda at this point. And it's so cool to see that corporate interests are already starting to come in looking to, um, looking to buy out, looking to bully out established people in that pre-war period because they've been able to, grow their wealth in the war wartime. And so when he and his friend come in, it's this real tragic story. These two guys come out to come out to that land. They come into Ewing's territory, which is Jason Robards. One of them dies. The other is, you know, badly, badly injured. And there's this pairing of these last two people in Ewing's empire that he's just flat out refusing. And Robards is, you know, this is his first performance with Pakula after Bradley, which is yeah, one of the old timers. And so he's malevolent and he's manipulative yes. and he wants her, you know, he's he wants Jane Fonda to be the unwitting queen of his little empire. And when she refuses, he takes absolutely everything personally. Um, he's also a character that's riddled with loss because there's the implication that Fonda was with his son who has um, tragically passed away. And so it's this weird thing of like, I will have my line in a very, you know, uh, almost like a, a palace intrigue, you know, I'll have my line continue, but I'll continue to build, but it's not, it, it takes it out of this abstraction. And it's like, or also behind a lot of these powerhouse people are big corporate interests that don't care who lives or dies. They just want power. And so it's got all this depth and, as far as Khan's performance in it, I was just really moved by his ability to kind of squash those impulses to go head on because this mm-hmm. is not a this is not something that can be like a head on um, kind of approach. It has to be something where it's like mounting and building and you know fortifying. And so yeah, that's if I had to say some words about his performance, very fortifying performance. It's very it's very cool. He has great chemistry with Jane Fonda. He's turning down some of those impulses to be a hair trigger. And, but, but he's, he just got that toughness. Um, he, and, and so, yeah, it's just a really, really stunningly shot cold Western. And I, I, every time I watch it, I'm just like, God damn, this is good. Like this again, as a, as a small, uh, self-contained thing that doesn't need seven seasons and 12 spinoffs as, no. <laughs> as, as, as Yellowstone is, 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 is manifesting for us in our existence. I just, yeah, I was just extremely impressed and uh, I'm, you know, I'm a big unabashed Pakula fan. So I, I love everything that he does and Gordon Willis shooting a Western is kind of the coolest. Perfect. Yes. No, I don't know how many times I've seen it. And every time I forget that it doesn't take place during Vietnam. I think because yeah. it's, you know, 78, right after coming home, it's Jane Fonda, who's like synonymous with Vietnam, or especially this era. And it also just deals with so many things that we were thinking about in the 70s with Jimmy Carter um, and the environment, some issues with, I mean, like fracking before we talked about fracking, yeah. essentially, or it's going to destroy the land, uh, the banks. Well, I built the banks or, you know passing these things down, uh, corruption, it, like he rides around in the police car. There's a line about like Robarts mm-hmm. does. 
there's a line that James Kahn says something about like, well, you guys were selling me that line to try to get me to re-enlist or something. So, you know, usually with World War II movies, there's like this uh, looking back with the rose-colored glasses or this rah-rah, but made during the, the wake of Vietnam, there's suddenly um, a little bit of dismay, a little apprehension about what is war and what are we sending these men in there to do, um, even for good reasons. And I think this movie has a lot of that going on. It's also kind of funny that it came out the same year that Dallas, the TV show, came out because yeah. that show has like J.R. Ewing. And here you have another like J.W. Ewing. Uh, so every time I'm like, was this a book? Like, how are these the same thing? <laughs> I didn't really watch Dallas too much as a kid. We were like a dynasty household, essentially. <laughs> but I remember enough. He drew the line me. in the sand. He drew yes, the line in the we sand. We were the dynasty family. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, oh, it's just so good. Farnsworth is great. The the things you were pointing out about Khan's performance are all there. It's more subtle. It's softer. Mm. He does a lot with his reactions. Um, some of my favorite scenes, actually, he doesn't have much dialogue at all. No. Like one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie is when he's having dinner in uh, Jane Fonda's house. And you can tell they're both very like there's chemistry and they're aware of each other but she is not wanting to let a man into her life because she's been hurt. And so she's just like eating dinner and reading a book and then he mimics her, but he's not reading and it takes him 30 seconds to fold and want to start talking. And <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful scene and the film is full of those great performance uh, notes by Khan, I think. Yeah. I, Bakula loves just creating space. Like I, the, the empty spaces in his movies are where the movies happen for me. You know, the, yeah. the pauses, the, you know, big pregnant pauses in scenes. And I think they have, that's that good thing of just like, Hey, I've got like James Kahn who is extremely talented. You know, he's not far off doing rollerball and um, you know, one of the biggest movie stars in the world and thief at the same time, you know, this is, this is a little post Godfather purple patch, but this is just one of those underseen ones for whatever reason, because I think, Exactly as you said, it was like, it's on that, you know, Westerns and morality tales that should tell you way more about the time that they're, way more about the time that they're produced than they're set. And it's just sort of like a, mm -hmm. a, 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 it feels like a rule. And I don't think people were, it, it hadn't, people hadn't quite aged into, you know, like it's like it takes until, you know, Apocalypse Now is something a couple of years, a couple of years later, but then it's really not until like Platoon where people can like readily accept that we are now going to confront yeah. the 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 fallacies of vietnam and uh, and and the ugliness of it um with war texts or mm -hmm. uh, or western texts if you like to sort of re-examine it and the revisionist western is so close to like fully kicking off but this is that beautiful blend of like classicism and and revisionism because it's not it's 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 looking back at another time and just asking bigger questions about well you know what a whole bunch of people profited at the end of the war. There's a whole bunch of empire building. There's a whole bunch of these banks and things like that, that in wartime just like stuffed their pockets, you know? And I think in this yeah. pandemic time, <laughs> in the pandemic <laughs> time, when you look at, when you look at like all the companies that like folded and then all the companies that existed, like the, the net loss of all the companies that now don't exist anymore was net profit for all of the companies that do yeah. exist. And it's just like, there is an ugliness. There's an ugly truth behind that. It's like the people who've made the most profit and the people who are ready to spend money, um, it's like they were profiting from a war and you know, or a mm -hmm. pandemic or something. And so I just love the incisiveness of Bakula sometimes to be he's, you know, 
hyper intelligent individual. So that yeah. ability to draw those, you know, to draw that 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 allegory together and and have it underpin it just makes you go, huh? Well, yeah, of course there are people who profit from all wars, and um, we think they're not going to be nice people, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're going to they're going to come in and try and monopolize anything that they can and, and continue to build wealth and hoard it for themselves. So I, I yeah, it's I I totally get why this wasn't a fun hang for people to go to the movies, but for us no. now at our time, it's it's really um really, really something that's uh that's continued to resonate for me. Yeah. And talking about the movies that Khan was turning down, the ones he was accepting seemed to have more going on with than just the role he was meant to play. Like they had yes. to say something. And it is interesting when you you mentioned Rollerball or some of the other films he was making in this period. And you can see that he was asking himself, like, you know, what he believed in or what was interesting, because some of the roles he turned down were, I mean, huge hits for the actors in them, but they maybe weren't commenting on the time period or yes. the things that were important quite as much. And I think, you know, it's a little bit of integrity. He has a good line about, um, he turned down some roles. He said, I didn't want to be a millionaire. I wanted to be an actor. And this is one of those parts, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, the next film from 1980 has one of my favorite taglines of all time, which reads, if the Justice Department of the United States abducted your children, what would you do? From, <laughs> from the sounds of those words, rather than the film that Vincent can be described as an unusually satisfying, almost perfectly scaled little melodrama about the so-called ordinary people trapped in extraordinary events in the New York Times, you might just be picturing something along the lines of the character Con played in Thief or The Godfather. But for this, you would be wrong. A movie based on a remarkable true story directed by and starring James Conn, Hide in Plain Sight, finds the actor playing a hardworking factory worker and divorced father of two in the late 60s who dotes on the kids he adores whenever he is able to see them. But when his ex's new mob-connected man becomes a cooperating mob witness and is placed along with his ex and two kids in witness protection without his knowledge or ability to see them, Khan's character is forced to use any and every legal resource he has at his disposal to get them back in his life. A movie that feels perhaps more like a 90s indie film or a TV movie than it does a major Hollywood release from like the late 70s, early 80s. However, I think this modest, well-intentioned labor of love from Khan is absolutely worth checking out. So what did you think of this one, Blake? Because I know for you it was new. Yeah, brand new. and. Um... I really enjoyed it because it's uh, one one of the criticisms you read about the Canvey review, but there was the Ro- Roger Ebert review where he, he really said it was, um, he said that it like it didn't follow, or it didn't make narrative sense. It wasn't a really like compellingly told story. It was more uh, attempting for a levels of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And and I think sometimes really uh, the, I think that sometimes it's a misnomer to say that some of these little films that are kind of modestly shot and doing are doing what they're doing are lacking invention. And sometimes you have to look at like, is it a cohesive decision? And I feel like that Khan for all of the criticism about, Oh, you know, it's pretty, pretty drably directed in, in all things considered, yeah. you know, his other, his other um, Godfather co-star Robert Duvall, um, you know, for example, is a, is a guy who, you know, you watch the apostle as something like that, you know, he can direct the hell out of a movie. Oh yeah, you know, and and 
And Khan here isn't showing a lot of visual flair, but what he's doing is I think the whole thing just makes sense to this whole modest sensibility. It's set in Buffalo, New York. It's working class people. It's not flashy. Um, there's a bank robbery that starts at the beginning of the movie that is one of the least flashily shot bank robberies of all time. Yes. Um, the, 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 the character scenes are, you know, textured and there's people moving and it's, it's got life in it, but it's, it feels very modest. And I think that that all goes to the story. And so I, I really enjoyed this and it was just hearing about funny little, you know, I did some research because it was my first time, but it was like, he wanted to shoot the whole film without a score. He didn't want any emotional, no emotional manipulation. Um, he just wanted to be very flat and dry. Um, for whatever you might say about Khan as a visual stylist, God damn, he knows how to cast an actor. I mean, the, yes. the Robert, Robert Vajaro, who plays Jack Scalise, which is his wife's new uh, first partner, boyfriend, and then eventual husband, mm-hmm. who who goes into witness protection because uh, and and then drags his his ex wife and their kids into that and causes his whole uh, this whole pursuit and his whole quest. Um, he's such a dirtbag. Like he's just yes. so stupid, and he's so out of his depth. And what's great is. I just think that he's just so unashamed about how, I don't know, how petty, how, and, and, and he, this guy has no clue what is going on with organized crime really. And so I, I really liked that and watching him just be this like modest downtrodden guy, again, a guy who you feel like every impulse in his heart is that he just wants to beat the crap out of this guy. And we kind of know that James Khan could beat the crap out yeah. of this guy, but he just turns it all off. And so I found it like this really Mm-hmm. I found it very, very sweet for its modesty. And, and I, and I think that the performances are really terrific. And I think that Khan is excellent. And, and so I just, the, I just continued to enjoy, um, I continue to enjoy, like, this is a very, this is, this is a guy who had a very clear idea. Does the idea completely cohesively work? Maybe not, but he wanted to keep it very small, very modest and everything about the character's, no nonsense factory worker style is almost in the visual style of the movie. And, mm-hmm. and these like flourishes that help assist the melodramatic nature of the story, I think are there, but I was just, yeah, really impressed with him as an, as a director of actors more than anything. And he was great. Like just, again, another one of these unexpected, you know, very, very thankless downtrodden guys who, who, yep. who only has one thing that's really important to him, which really resonated with me. He's like, his kids are the most important thing in his world. Everything yeah. else doesn't matter. Like everything else is ephemera um, if he can't have his kids. And, um, and, and so it was just, you know, it's just tragic. It's, it was, it was a, it was a tragic story in so many it ways. Really but I, is. I, I, yeah. but I really liked it. I really liked it. Thank you for, um, thank you for getting, getting it in my hot little hands to watch. Of course. Yeah. I also enjoy what it's saying about masculinity, especially um, for this period. And not Mm. just also because I think Khan is known as this like hyper masculine figure, but his character here, like you were pointing out, I mean, this guy is a dirtbag who's around uh, his kids, but Mm. he knows he will be barred from seeing his kids if he does anything. And he's happy to um, kind of be a doormat, just be a babysitter because he's there for the children. He still, um, you know, carries a little torch for his ex a little bit. Like she will always be important to him. She's the mother of his children. And I think that is really beautiful. I also like the idea, even though, I mean, this is not a woman he should be with. Um, I like (laughs) the idea that this is somebody who fought for their country. He was a Marine and he also just 
puts faith in authority figures. Like you're raised to think, you know, if something goes wrong, well, the police are going to fix it. And something goes wrong. Where are my children and the police? Because hello, the Justice Department moved his kids aren't going to help. And I feel like he was willing to almost give up or it shows his background, his circumstances, not knowing what to do. Um, had he not met the woman he met at the right point in his life, essentially, uh, Jill Eikenberry is very good as um, the more educated woman from California who is a school teacher who moves to New York and gets involved with them. If she hadn't entered his life, I think he just would have had no idea what happened to his children, essentially. And you can't help but think that another issue with um, masculinity and also just stereotypes that I liked uh, was with Danny Aiello as the lawyer. He's playing a real yes. New York lawyer. Yes, who's Italian. You know, you have the, the wise guy stereotypes and then you have Aiello who is really trying to get to the bottom of it uh, for Khan and Eikenberry. And I think that was really good. It's an early, great little performance by Aiello. Yeah, Aiello is terrific. I, I, I really, and again, another, it's that um, there's a terrific, there's a terrific Sydney Lumet, underseen uh, Sydney Lumet film called, um, oh my God, I've just lost the name. Uh, no, Night Falls on Manhattan. Oh, yes. It stars, yeah. it stars Andy Garcia as the lawyer um, mm -hmm. who is uh, sort of half Irish, um, I believe like half Puerto Rican or South American or something like that is, is, is the makeup of his story, which explains how Ian Holm can be his dad in the movie, basically. Um, and because uh, they're like, he's clearly ethnic and this guy's clearly some kind of British actor. <laughs> so how did this even work? Um, but uh, yeah, but Aiello's ability then to come in in amongst all these very authentic, you know, Italian looking characters and personalities that can't cast and just like, no, he's like a straight shooter. And what's so great is I love the exchange. I'm sure it's one of your favorite moments too, because I know you, is him <laughs> talking, getting advice from his friend to be like Clark Gable, you know, when he's trying to yes, win. Yes, look her uh, in the eyes. You look her in the eyes, look her in the eyes. And this is a guy who like in a few years will say, I am a straight arrow. I'm a true blue kind of a guy. I've been yes. cool. I'm now unmarried. <laughs> like this is a guy who we've seen deliver like one of the most outlandish, great pickup, meet cute scenes Ever. In cinema, ever, mm -hmm. ever. There's, ne there's never one better um, in my mind. And <laughs> get I think on if with this big romance. <laughs> let's yes. get on with this big romance, right? And so watching him remove all of that, yep. um, all of his natural charm, all those things to show this awkwardness and vulnerability and do I, need, do I need to have a, a complication in my life? I think is the great question that he's in of his performance. Like, do I need another complication because mm -hmm. I'm in this really awkward situation with my wife and the kids and, and yeah, just them finding each other is really great. And so that, that's something that can definitely be savored and appreciated about this whole performance. It's just like all those little turns are just so wonderful. And, and yeah, like it's, it's really hard. Like oh, what, you know, again, another movie that says something like what if the government doesn't, what if something is more important to them? What if it's not in their best interest to yes. see a father reunited with their children? And just mm -hmm. like all of those things of dismissing him, who cares what he's doing? He's just a, he's, he's a problem that's going to go away. And then there's just yeah. these tenacious forces that are like, no, this is not this right. Know, I, Mm -hmm. it's not it's not going to happen this guy scalise is a dirtbag he's got my kids watching bloody westerns instead of flipper like i'm going <laughs> after, I, want, I want those kids back yes no 100 percent. yeah well i'm glad you enjoyed that that makes me feel good i'm glad that yeah, you got good. got to see it but speaking really 
of history-inspiring stories once again. Our last film, shot in 1998, but not released until two years later due to Miramax delays, is director James Gray's crime film slash Greek tragedy, The Yards, written by Gray along with Matt Reeves and based upon a New York City Metropolitan Transit Authority corruption scandal in the early 1980s and involving Gray's father, the film stars Mark Wahlberg as a recently paroled young man who comes home to find a surprise party thrown for him by his family, including his mother, Ellen Burstyn, Aunt Faye Dunaway, her husband, James Kahn, their daughter and Wahlberg's cousin, Charlize Theron, and her boyfriend, Joaquin Phoenix, for whom we quickly realize that perhaps Wahlberg has just taken a fall in prison. Going to work with Phoenix for Uncle Khan at the rail yards, bribing their ways into deals and jobs and muscling out anyone who gets in the way. When after one job turns deadly, Wahlberg finds himself at a dangerous crossroads, unsure whether he should keep his mouth shut, perhaps kill to prevent more jail time, or turn in those closest to him. A dark chamber drama that foreshadowed more great work to come from all involved, including future Phoenix and or Wahlberg collaborations with Gray, and also found Khan able to once again sink his teeth into something with duality in a decade that often found him playing things as cameos or for laughs. I really like this one. So what is your take on The Yards? Yeah, I really like James Gray is a good film, like yeah. really good filmmaker. Like he's just, I don't know, there's something reliable about what you're gonna watch, everything that he does. Um, you know, the the next movie, um, We Own the Night is I chose it a, for movie club. Yeah, such such a great such a great movie. Yeah. I, I have a lot I have a lot of time for that. And and mm-hmm. I think with the yards, Mark Wahlberg wishes he was James Kahn. And what's nice <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> is the nicest thing that's 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 about as shady as Jen gets, which I love so much because I can just read all the shade under those two words. Um, but <laughs> but but it's but it's um it's just one of those things that it's a great movies are about alchemy, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're, they're, there's there's no sense sometimes that the recipe that you follow, you know, you can sometimes cook a great meal and you can follow the recipe to a tea, and there's just something that doesn't work. And I think that this movie has plenty of opportunities to um, have this this smattering, this this sprinkling of um, being bad. It just you know, if, if if the actors are not perfectly cast, yeah, it's bad. And I think that Wahlberg at this right time in his career working with Gray is just spot on. I think yeah. Joaquin at this time is spot on. So the tension of that, it, it's almost like that great rounders chemistry between uh, Damon and Norton. Mm-hmm. Wahlberg and Phoenix have this amazing chemistry. And then putting Khan into this position of authority and this moral quandary of like, these rat bags who he's ultimately related to getting up to all this mischief and doing all yeah. this stuff. And then he having to, you know, react to that. I just think there is just something when you do that right casting of these three guys, there's a level of believability that they're related. That makes no sense because you mm-hmm. know they, they kind of don't look like each other or whatever the case no. may be. But, but there's just something that gray gets that the central piece of this triangle of guys. And obviously Shalice is a huge part in those things, but that, that that battle um, for their souls that is happening with these three guys is just everything. I just I could watch it just for that. I really like him, and it's 
at this time, I'm trying to get the timelines right. Was he in, was he making that show Vegas at this time? Like, cause Vegas ran for a year. How many years did that TV show run with? Wasn't it like five seasons and then he stopped? I never watched it. So I, I never have no it. idea I, like, I when no, it was on. Yeah. I have no clue, but it just no feels idea. like, yeah. uh, it feels like there's a, cr- there's a crest where, you know, other than sort of late James Khan. Um, popping up in Elf, which is just amazing. Um, but oh like, he's it. it, it, yes. just so wonderful in Elf. Again, sort of a, a nice mix of all the things that he can do. Um, this feels like one that he really got to like be, yeah, tense, brooding, mm-hmm. you know, powerful. Um, and and just he just had a lot of meat on the bones. Matt Reeves, great writer himself. James Gray, yeah. these guys working together. Um, so yeah, I I really liked. I like the whole texture of this movie. I like the feeling. I like the the environment. I like the the world that they build together. And so yeah, as a late Khan, it's. It's it good. just shows that he's still got it. Yeah. And someone yeah. wrote a really funny tweet the other day. Um, well, not funny, but just great about one thing that the tragedy of Macbeth proved to them about Denzel Washington is that like, this is a guy who still wants to push himself and yeah. he's still willing to like lay it out on the line and deliver career best performances. And I feel like right at this moment, this was one of those times where it was like, Oh, late James Khan is still, is still going for it. Like he's still really mm-hmm. going for these big meaty performances where he's got a lot of lot to lose and he's throwing it all on the line to deliver something that's late career best. And then, you know, the convenience of network television and all those sorts of yeah, things yeah. and getting a bit older. It's just like, Oh no, I'm not going to have to do that anymore. But this is, that feels like one of the last big Khan performances for me is this movie is like, he's yep. really going for it. He's right in his wheelhouse. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I've got a lot of time for this movie. Me too. I think, you know, you do see, again, this is coming after the 90s. One of my favorite, we already touched on, of course, Misery. One of my favorite uh, con performances in the 90s that I don't think people really give a lot of uh, credence to except, oh, it's a fun movie. But what he brings to it is in Honeymoon in Vegas. As the, <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, as the, you know. I haven't seen the, that movie in years. Oh, oh my, my God, God, that's a fun it's movie. It's the fucking best. But anyway, <laughs> you watch it and you can kind of see him as this romantic rival. I mean, he is playing a little bit of of a campiness. There's some of the, the Godfather, you know, stuff that he is falling back on. But you can also just see him having a ball, especially in some of those scenes with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. It's great stuff. Like, you know, uh, when he is being the romantic heavy and then two seconds later, you see him as being like scary. Uh, So there's more going on there. But this was really cool to see him. uh, Early 90s, James Gray made Little Odessa, which I remember being really impressed by. And then um, I thought this one was even better, actually. So it was cool to see him back in this sort of New York company of actors. Again, you have like other people from this era, like Ellen Burstyn and Faye Dunaway, even small roles are are really good here. And then kind of the, the character actors coming up. Um, we talked about Mark Wahlberg in The Departed. I feel like we've kind of highlighted uh, Wahlberg's like really good performances. Um, and then, you know, the Transformer shit. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've kind of, yeah, we've scoured the, the, the well there, but with Phoenix, I mean, this is just such a good ensemble. There's so much going on. Um, it's interesting. I don't know which version you have. I have this old uh, Miramax disc from like Blockbuster, complete with the old shield on it uh, that I bought it used. It has the director's cut ending. I'm not I sure which. 
I don't I don't have the director's cut ending. Okay. I read about I only found out which is that um Leo uh is testifying. So that's that's um okay. obviously uh Mark Wahlberg's character is testifying against Frank and his company. Yeah, um, that doesn't uh, happen. Like, yeah, it doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah, so in yeah, so I I I didn't I didn't I didn't see that ending. I was like, oh my god, when when did that happen? But it's just one of those things. I'll hook you what, up. <laughs> no, please do, please do. Yep. Um, I, I was just going to say that what annoys me about contemporary films is yeah. you hire like two actors and you're like, then the rest is just not anyone we've ever met, seen before. They're like mm-hmm. the fifth lead in one independent TV show that came on <laughs> Stars five years ago. Yes. And what I like about this, because it's just early 2000s, so it almost seems to have that same 90s ethos is, no, you just hire every great actor that can work. It, like, yeah. it, it just hire everyone. And if you okay. look around and like a tiny performance is Faye, Mother Flip and Dunaway, it's like mm-hmm. it adds something. And uh, obviously on Bernstein, but it's just like you hire great actors around them. And so that top line six are all Academy Award winning or nominated actors. And so it's just kind of crazy that you go, well, this is good. Like when a cast has got six, there's six leads, there's six top mm-hmm. line characters, and then you can pepper it out with like really great working theatre, New York, true New York faces to kind of give the texture of it. And so I feel like it's just one of those things that so, so, so many films fail miserably at in our contemporary times um, for pandemic reasons or otherwise. But yeah, I, I miss like, you know, you know, on a upcoming episode of Too Much Movie with Rob Belushi uh, and Chris Candy and I, well, we just talk about the Fugitive. Like oh, that cast is God. just insane. Julianne Moore's there for two seconds. Like, like wow. Julianne Moore's there. Um, you know, just just everyone that is there. Joey Pants, we we love. You know, mm-hmm. everyone in that movie is just so terrific. And it's not just the first two guys. It's it's like eight or nine or ten or eleven or twelve or thirteen. Just great actors across the board. And it's like there's just something about that where, you know, these sort of like genre pictures could attract big, meaty, huge cast. Mm-hmm. People just walk-ons for a couple of days and there's still great actor to do a walk-on. And so, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's the, that's the special sort of stamp of this movie for me. And, and, and again, so cool to see the names, James Khan, Ellen Burson and Faye Dunaway in a movie in 2000, right? Like it's just yes. like, oh, yes, it's gotta be cool. Yes. It's got these guys, you know, these are, these are actors. Yeah, well, I know that's all the time we had to talk today to go in these underrated or overlooked cons. But before I let you go, are there any others you want to just give a shout out to that people should check out that you think are strong performances? Uh, yeah, look, I the I always, 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 always have to go to um, around this time is uh, uh, Rollerball is a movie that I think yes. people have forgotten about. Um, it was a massive movie and mm-hmm. i think it's a, it's a if we're talking about the the hunger games of it all and those sorts of <laughs> things and everyone and everyone always was talking about movies like battle royale and things like that but i, I truly think that rollerball is incredibly special um i'm a i'm a peckinpah guy because michael mann is a peckinpah guy and the killer elite is also just around at this time so if i want to just say like i mean i know that they they're probably not necessarily like forgotten, but they're just not in the dialogue anymore because there's just so True. much other content. So, I mean, that double really in his career that happened, um, the killer elite and rollerball, uh, you know, oh my God, his entire 1975 funny lady rollerball killer elite 
is insane. Like that yes. 1975 made him the biggest movie star in the world. And so if you ever want like a triple feature of James Khan, which, you know, they're not all the absolute biggest movies he ever did, but holy heck, um, I have a lot of time for the the way that those movies all play out um, together because they're just, they're all really different. Um, but they they just show like they showcase I think everything that he was going for and a, a special shout out to one last one because uh, I know our friend Travis Woods loves this movie um, and I know our friend Jed Ayers loves this movie Freebie and the Bean get oh, throw yeah. that on from 1974 <laughs> that's a yes. that's another one like this whole period is just so rich with his stuff and I, again. Some of it's hard to track down. I know in Oz, some of these movies are hard to track down. Rollerball, probably the easiest, maybe Funny Lady second, but Killer Elite, the original, um, even harder to track down than the crappy Robert De Niro remake. You know, it's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's really annoying. So um, those three, I just want to shout out as, um, uh, and uh, that, and I just, <laughs> the other thing is what's hilarious is I think The Yards came out the year after he made Mickey Blue Eyes with Hugh Grant. That's right. Yeah. I think that people were just like, oh, is this what James Kahn is now? And he realizes, is he just going to be the guy who plays Mm -hmm. the fake gangster for comedic effect? Um, So it was nice to see that. But yeah, look, there's, there's lots of little ones. Unfortunately, a lot of them are just very, um, uh, they're hard to find or they're just unfortunately not very good. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of his later ones, but yeah, right in that period, mid seventies, that's all my kind of like, I'm, I'm a new Hollywood guy. So those three movies, are just so great. Check them out. Do yourself a favor. Definitely. And I will give a shout out to the rain people as well. Oh, I thought that right. was a really good performance. Right. Yeah. Yes. Oh Another one I need to catch up on again. Uh, well, Blake, this was so much fun. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.